Panthers, welcome to the official leadership podcast. This is Behind the Mask. Hey, I'm Sophia, the director. And I'm Margo, the chief editor. And I'm Kaichen, the assistant editor. And I'm Irene, the media manager. So today we have a wonderful guest on with us to discuss her insights on consent and its importance within our community. Make sure to monitor your emotions when streaming our episodes and to seek professional guidance if you're feeling depressed or anxious. A quick note. This episode will be covering consent, meaning that there may be mentions of gender-based sexual violence. Given that information, should you need to, feel free to step away and talk to a trusted adult. Remember, there are always resources available. And with those reminders in mind, we'd like to continue with our episode. Okay, so my name is Holly Grunfein. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I specialize in sexual trauma. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology, and I'm also a state certified sexual assault counselor. So as a therapist, I currently work only with survivors of sexual assault and their families. And I I think it took me a while to find my way um, to into this career specifically, maybe because I immigrated twice and maybe for other reasons, but I'm very happy that I settled just with this career because I think I care a lot about this topic and about people in general. Yeah, so as you said before, you are a licensed therapist and practically an expert on consent. So what about this job intrigued you when discovering careers? Well, I didn't find, this wasn't my first career. And um, I was, before I, um, before I was in this career, I, wo- I worked as an early childhood educator. And before that, I worked with aviation security in a very male dominated uh, field. And uh, I think that I always wanted to be a therapist, but it took some time for me just to to land just because I moved a lot. And I, um, so what it intrigued me, I guess that I like empowering people and I feel that people need to have a voice and the most disempowered people deserve to, to have a place to to talk about what's going on for them and in safety so i guess that's what intrigued me yeah i'm again i'm so happy that you could make it onto this podcast because yes we are youth but our overall goal is to try to support those who are going through things that maybe they Um, they have a hard time talking about and it's nothing forced or anything but um, I I liked how you said that anyone has uh, deserves the chance to share uh, what they've gone through and to have a fresh start and um, and yeah and everyone is always worthy no matter their ideas or beliefs. So 
Um, my question for you is how this job has, like, since you've decided that you want to be a therapist, how you think that this job has shaped you and how you feel like you might have grown with it? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So I think that above all, it brought me a deep understanding and empathy to all aspects of human suffering and the human experience. And in this job, I connect and build relationships with children and with teens and adults of all ages. And they come from very different backgrounds. And really every day I feel honored and humbled by this experience because there's so many aspects of growth that I get from this job. And I love this profession just because it brings together science and social interaction and the humanities. So it's a big mishmash of all of this. And um, yeah, I've grown with this job, of course, because every day I discover something new about myself and working with people who are in emotional pain and who are working hard to process their trauma is also very helpful because as a therapist, I witness how people connect to their strengths and resiliency and healing and growth. And that natural, naturally it makes me grow as the person. Wow, I love that. The fact that you can have, have helping people as your job and, you know, enjoy it and grow with it and sort of understand what people go through and understand that aspect in the field. I really admire that. I have another question for you, and that is, so what are some things that you have experienced when on the job that have been normalized in our current society and culture? And if any, what new things do you think need to be normalized in the society and culture that we live in? Oh, wow. That's a big question. <laughs> um, well, so... Generally speaking, there is more awareness about mental health and mental wellness today than it's ever been. There is more acceptance of people as they are, and there is an acknowledgement of how important it is to, to normalize. Even that the question is coming, what needs to be normalized? Is, it just shows that there is an awareness and an interest. But I also think that there is so much more that needs to be done in reducing stigma around mental health. And that stigma is like a double-edged uh, sword because not only sometimes it's hard to ask for help because a person is scared of what other people will think about them. There's also this internalized stigma sometimes which causes a lot of shame. It's sometimes very, very hard to ask for help. And I wish that that would be more normalized, that it's okay to ask for help when, when a person is needing it. And another, on a different note, another thing that I really wish that would be normalized is if we could all have some non-binary thinking around gender and gender identity and respect for people's choices about who they want to be and how they want to be. Okay, so uh, as you uh, said in like Irene's questions, uh, responses before, you said that your job is like uh, helping others, but I'm gonna like ask deeply that, do you feel that by having like this job, 
you are making an impact on our community? I sure hope so. And I, I believe I do. And even in my, even as, even therapists, not everybody wants to work with sexual trauma. So it's kind of a, a niche that is needed, but not everybody wants to do it. So I, I feel that if I can do it, then this is the change that I can make. And I see survivors from trauma who develop awareness and skills to deal with their pain and they find a way to heal. So it's important for people who experience trauma to have a voice, to tell their story. And sometimes for the first time they can tell their story in therapy. Another aspect of that work is that I volunteer on the crisis line for um, people who have experienced some kind of sexual assault and or their families or have questioned this crisis line is completely confidential. So anyone can call. And, um, and that's a service for the community because sometimes people just don't know who they can talk to and they just don't want to talk to anyone and to identify themselves. So this is also part of the, of the work. Uh, another part of it where I know that I make a difference is agencies like uh, YWCA in Santa Clara and RTS in San Mateo provide also advocacy and education and individual accompan um, accompaniment for hospitals and forensic interviewing and sometimes court appointments. And this is where uh, people can really get support in you know, in, when they're feeling most vulnerable. So, so that's a service for the community, I feel, and the education part for sure. I would like to ask a quick follow-up question. So what sense, or do you have a sense of responsibility when dealing with these people of all ages, of all backgrounds, and with their trauma. So, yeah, do you have a sense of responsibility? I believe that the responsibility is to do no harm, really to, um, to be as gentle, to understand that people come to therapy, that's a choice, and to respect choices and to have that responsibility to allow people to heal without pushing them. That's a big responsibility because it's not like you can't, everybody's an expert on their own experience. So you can't say, oh, you have to do this and this and this and everything's gonna be fixed. It's a different kind of process. So. It's really to find the strengths and the strengths and to find the internal uh, resources that people have and work with that. That's the responsibility. Yeah, those are great words. Thank you for answering. So my next question is, what lessons on consent you feel need to be shared and what the most important aspects of those lessons are? I think we used to think about consent as something that is related only to intimate relationship. But actually, 
consent is about nonviolent communication, respect, safety. It's about healthy boundaries and being or learning to be assertive and not manipulative and being honest. And it's about increasing social and emotional awareness. And that is the biggest um, lesson about consent that I can say there. It's not only about how we are in intimate relationship. It's about how we move in the world in, in a nonviolent way. So there's a preventive aspect to, to that, um, to, to that whole, to everything that is connected to consent. Yeah, I, I want to connect these two ideas that you um, mentioned previously, where it's almost as if by going to therapy, you're consenting to expose yourself and your vulnerabilities, but in a space that's safe and in a space that will allow you to grow with um, your therapist. I'm also wondering um, how these lessons that you touched upon have changed since you were young. Okay, so I think that when I was young, that's a great time. Uh, there was very little awareness about abuse of power, about uh, what sexual assault is, what is consent, what is okay, not okay. There was way more shaming and blaming of the survivor. There was no Me Too movement, no social media as in its positive, um, with its positive aspects, very little advocacy. And uh, so people who were experiencing some kind of assault or harassment, they really didn't have where to go. I think it's different now. It can even, it's, there's so much space for improvement, but things were even worse. So, you know, I think that the Me Too movement, for example, gave and still gives enormous support for survivors that couldn't say anything, didn't have even the words to say what's going on for them and were not believed and didn't have a space at all to, to express what they were going through. So a lot of change, but a lot can be better too. Yeah, we definitely still have a long way to go. Um, but I'm glad that you have seen these um, things evolve and our society get better as the years have gone by. and. That's partly, I think, why we're educating youth about this and why this is a youth podcast so that we can continue to transform the narrative on consent um, so that it fully covers every aspect of it mm -hmm. to its fullest. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned too about going to therapy, yes, that's a decision and nobody is forced to go to therapy. And part of going to therapy is to give something that's called an informed consent, right? So you are actually giving the permission to your therapist to work with you, not the other way around. So that's another like part that you mentioned earlier about the decision of going to therapy and what it's, it looks like. So that's a different aspect right we're taking it a little bit sideways but i wanted to to cover that because nobody is forced to should be forced rather to go to any therapy 
ever. I know we are in the topic of therapy at the moment, but I would like to ask, um, what do you admire the most about March's Women's History Month and the annual International Women's Day? Well, I, that's great that we talk about that because, you know, women are approx approximately half of the Earth's population. So first of all, it's an acknowledgement that we exist and we matter and nobody would be here without us. I think it's important to, to mention it because there are so many places in the world where women are still denied full participation in all aspects of life and they're denied the right to vote or the right to have basic education. So every recognition of women and uh, people identified as women is an achievement and it's a step forward. And I personally admire people like um, Professor Kate Carrico, who is the brain behind the mRNA research and the COVID vaccine that we're all uh, getting now. And she had to fight so hard to keep doing her research and she was demoted and she never ever stopped believing in, in her own path. And I feel so inspired by women like her or also by women who are behind uh, the feminist and LGBTQIA psychology, who were really pioneers in giving their um, direction in how we see uh, therapy and psychology today. There's a lot to celebrate. Yeah, how every small little step in victory uh, towards equality is always a great one. And it's always something to be celebrated for. I, I love how you said that. Bringing it back into the big picture again, what do you think the most crucial step is that needs to be taken in the future fight for gender equality across the board? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd like to think about plural, crucial steps in plural, because I don't think it's only one thing. I wish it was. So I think that working from different angles and different fronts and through different lenses at the same time is, is, is crucial. So for example, we need to have policies in place about equality and safety. We would really benefit from having more women and non-binary people in key positions, not only in politics, but everywhere. We would benefit from changing forms and documents to be gender neutral and to have some consideration to people's choices. We would benefit from give everybody access to bathrooms and facilities. And on individual levels, we would benefit from people who make their voice heard and give support to pass laws and people who work towards changing curriculums to include information about discrimination and rejection we can benefit to have from clubs and meetings and brought and podcasts like this one and we would benefit from just people being good friends and good allies and we don't need to understand someone's identity to respect it and we don't need to assume and we can educate ourselves so these are crucial steps i can't even choose one thing because i think that all of them are important, equally important, because if we just have a change from the top, we don't get a change from the bottom. If we have a change from the bottom, 
the top is not working. It's actually some kind of overall movement that, that can that can bring to a future of gender uh, equality. Yeah, I enjoy how you mentioned all these tiny steps that need to be taken, but when brought together, they create a safer society for people of all identities through looking at these different policies or different changes that need to occur, we can start to see a future that's brighter and where people feel safe in expressing themselves and being themselves as they truly are. Yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful? Okay, so with that, I have another, I have another question for you. That is like, how can we support someone who discloses they've been sexually assaulted. I think that the first thing to do is really to listen with empathy and no judgment. Uh, remember, it's never the survivor's fault that they've been assaulted. And then you can encourage the survivor to seek support, talk to a trusted adult, or if they don't wanna do that first, they can call the crisis line. These lines are completely confidential and people who are answering the phone are specifically trained in supporting survivors. So I'm gonna give you now some numbers and these are important numbers. So hopefully the people who are listening to this and if they feel that they have a need to, to call a crisis line, I'm gonna give now a few numbers, three numbers if that's okay. And then I'm gonna, tell you also something else about supporting survivors. So let's start with the numbers. I think it's just so important. So RTS in San Mateo, is a, they have a crisis line that is 24 seven and their number is 650-692-7273. So 650-692-7273. National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline is 1-800-656-4673. And YWCA, which is another agency, I believe that this is their, um, I don't know if it's the 24-7 number, but it's 1-800-572-2782. So these are numbers that one can call. No, when if you find yourself in a situation when somebody is disclosing to you, you might need support too, because it's really hard to, to be with that information. So you deserve to get support too. So these are these numbers are for everybody. You know, finding a, an adult that you trust is always a good way to get support. But be an ally, be a good friend. Then there is also another resource maybe is uh, youthspace.org. I think it's a website. It has a lot of information for teens. I haven't explored it um, so in, in a very thorough way. So I'm not sure what they offer, but I think they offer quite a lot. Thank you for giving those resources. I know that they are they can be very important. Yeah, and I hope it, it answered what you can do. So really to listen, not to judge. I also am curious if you believe that we should be teaching age-appropriate lessons about consent at an earlier age to combat um, this gender-based and sexual violence. 
Yeah, I think preventive education is very important with the young ages. And this is why. So we have numbers and these numbers are taken, taken from the CDC website. So one out of four women experienced, or one out of three actually experienced their first sexual violence against them at the ages 11 to 17. But one out of eight girls experienced the first time that they're sexually assaulted under the age of 11. And with men and boys, it's one to four. So one out of four, so it's like 25%. So we can assume that the numbers also are much higher because many cases are not even reported. So with the early ages, it's important to talk about safety. We can talk about safe and unsafe touch, about body parts, about boundaries, that your body belongs to you, how to say no and stop, how to walk away if something feels wrong, and how to get help and how to find a trusted adult. And with middle school, right, or like kids who are a bit older, we can always talk about bullying and cyberbullying, about sexual harassment. Again, how to stay safe, make safe choices, about the right to be safe, the right to feel healthy and comfortable in your body. We can talk about assertiveness, about verbal messages versus body language, right? So if somebody says yes, but their whole body language is saying something else, then just don't hold their hand or, or don't hug them. How to identify the trusted adult in your life, how to help a friend. We can always talk about nonviolent communication, about mutuality and fairness and intimacy and boundaries and respect. So these are all parts of education for the younger crowds. And it's important because this lays the foundation for consent in, later on in intimate relationship. So I don't think we're talking about intimate consent with the early ages, but we talk about preventive approach and how to really how to say no, how to protect yourself, stuff like that. Yeah, it seems to me that what you're getting at is that consent in its most basic form is respect for another person and that we can be teaching that respect from a young age in many different forms so that it all can come together to um, form a good basis on the lessons of consent. I wanted to ask, um how you think youth can begin to fight systemic sexism and stand for gender equality? Well, I think you have the answers for that, but I can tell you what I feel. I would like to think about it as better together. So be active, speak out, advocate for school policies, start clubs, ask for proper education, speak among yourselves, um, use social media in a positive way, have podcasts like this one. When you see injustice, find a way to express that exactly what you're feeling and thinking. Speak out or write poetry or write an article to, to an online uh, publication or a newspaper. You can even do art. Just be the agent of change that you want to be in, and that can be in very many different ways. So there isn't just one way. And remember that systems are made out of individuals and individuals 
together can make a critical mass and that can make a change. So I think this is how to get into the systemic work. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. I, I like that of just like coming together and making a change. Yeah, okay. So uh, with the overall things, like uh, do you have any other final words to share? I'm thinking about the words of Mahatma Gandhi. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's not my final words, somebody else's. I just wanted to thank you for this conversation and how appreciative I feel for this opportunity and also for um, for what you're doing. I think it's huge, very meaningful. Thank you for leaving with those final words. I remember walking through our school halls and that word was those um, that quote was plastered right in the hallway. So I think it's a very familiar sentiment, but I think it's something that we do need to constantly reinforce. Just as we constantly need to reinforce lessons on consent because it's such a fundamental aspect of our lives. Yeah, so thank you for leaving us with that sentiment and thank you for being here. Um, really enjoyed hearing from you and having this conversation with you and really listening to your insights on consent because I, I do think it's important um, that we hear from experts just as it is important that we hear from you. But you, you are the experts on, on your own feelings. Just remember that. Yeah. yeah, thank you again. We really appreciate that you come and join us today. Yeah, and I, again, it's been such an honor to be able to talk to you and ask these really important questions that many youth face every day. And yeah, we're, we're just so happy that you could join us and be a part of this podcast episode. And we hope to talk or hear from you soon. And keep doing yeah. what you're doing, guys. Okay, okay well, thank you. Nice Thank you from you. Nice. Thank you for coming. Bye. Nice being here with you. Bye. So apart from Holly, we would like to feature another strong female leader, Nadia Okamoto, who is currently 23 years old. Nadia Okamoto is the founder of Period, the menstrual movement, an organization dedicated to menstrual equality across the United States and world. Okamoto served as the executive director of period for five years, eventually retiring. Okamoto continues to be a strong advocate for all menstrual health and equality while she pursues her education at Harvard University. Just a reminder to monitor your emotions while listening to any of our episodes and seek professional guidance if you are feeling depressed or anxious. Feel free to share your own stories and experiences with our Google form located on our website. This form is completely confidential, but if you wish to come on air with our team, that is also encouraged. Thank you for sticking with us as we covered the importance of consent, as this is often a hidden or less talked about topic that remains important in our everyday lives. Make sure to reach out and seek professional guidance from a trusted adult or friend if you or anyone you know may need help. Also, the featured organization today is period.org. Thanks for listening.
This is Behind the Mask. Thank you.